Last week, as we were looking at Kingdom Encounters in Matthew, we, we started talking about this idea of being confused with these parables. You know, he's teaching us these life-changing truths in these stories. And, and I think, really, that these parables, at first glance, they can leave one confused. And a parable, as I told you last week, it's a fictitious narrative by which either the duties of men or the things of God are, are portrayed. You see men at work or you see God at work in these, in these tales that Jesus tells and they're to illustrate a, a spiritual truth. So this morning as you're turning to Matthew chapter 13, Matthew 13, it's a reminder too that it's best to see all of chapter 13 as, as it's all interconnected. Um, but... We don't really have the time. So as last week we began with the parable of the sower and the seed, we're going to take the next this week and next to look at chapter 13. So the two parables this morning in chapter 13 that we're going to look at, they're spread across the chapter. They're not linear in the, in the Scripture, but their message is consistent. So look with me at verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner, they, they came and they said to the landowner, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slaves said, said to the landowner, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. Uh, go down to verse 47, please. <clears throat> Jesus picks up and he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. <laughs> That's not a very uplifting and encouraging message, is it? Uh, those are hard... Hard words, hard, confusing words. Uh, there in, we started at verse 24. Jesus, you know, he tells them that the kingdom of heaven is, is compared to a man who sows good seed in his field. The, the good seed, we, we, we saw a story about the sower and the seed last week, and you know, maybe this is part two, I don't know, maybe it's the sequel. Uh, if you remember last week, the seed landed on good soil and it yields a crop of a hundredfold and some 60 and some 30. Um, but this morning, the man, he, he, he sowed good seed in the field, but while everybody's sleeping, the enemy comes 
and sows tares among the wheat and goes away. Well, some here might not know what a tear is. Um, a tear, T-A-R-E, is also known as darnel, which is a plant that grows, which resembles wheat in many ways, but is worthless. It's false, it's fake, it's illegitimate, it's spurious. I asked several people this week uh, if they'd ever heard of darnel, and most had never heard of darnel. So one author, Sarah Lasko, she, she wrote an article, and it's entitled, Wheat's Evil Twin Has Been Intoxicating Humans for Centuries. And she says this, she says, For many centuries, perhaps for as long as humans have cultivated cereal grains, wheat's evil twin has insinuated itself into our crops in a big enough dose. This grass, this darnel, can kill a person, and farmers would have to take care to separate it out from their true harvest, unless they were planning to add darnel to beer or bread on purpose in order to get high. Because the weed, darnel, has hallucinogenic properties. Yeah, I didn't know that. In the article, Lasko highlights the research of a biologist uh, named Howard Thomas, and Thomas points out that darnel shows up time and again in key liter literary texts, uh, King Lear, um, as a symbol of subversion. And Thomas says this, where there is darnel, there is treachery and toxicity. The tear is, is symbolic of treachery, toxicity. And Jesus says in verse 26, when the wheat sprouts and bears grain, the tares become evident. Over season, the wheat sprouts, bears grain, and, and at the same time, the tares they begin to make their presence known. And, and there's some healthy signs of life. But there's also a manifestation of something not quite normal. Something that maybe has a normal look on the outside and its appearance, but on the inside there's something unhealthy something toxic, something treacherous. And the slaves of the landowner, they, they come and they say to the landowner, did, did you not sow good seed in the field? How does it, how does it have tares? I mean, the workers, these, these workers, they're, they're asking legitimate questions. I mean, did you use good seed? Why, 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 why is this here? And the landowner says, well, an enemy has done this. So, legitimate question, the workers say, uh, can we go and gather this, this false stuff up? Get rid of the, the dead weight. And the landowner says, no, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. You you might hurt the good growth. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. 
but gather the wheat into my barn. The landowner, he, he gives specific, intentional instructions as to what to do. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and then the tares will be gathered, bound in bundles, and burned up, and the wheat will be gathered and put into the landowner's barn. Intentional plans for both. Intentional plans for both the tares and the wheat. You know, there's no wait and see how it goes. The landowner says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to wait and I, we're going to watch, but this is how it's going to end up. Go ahead and move down to verse 36, please. Jesus gives explanation for these tares. There in 36, Jesus, he, he, he leaves the crowds and he goes in the house and his disciples, they come after him and they say, explain to us this parable of the tares of the field. See, see, they're confused by this too. And Jesus says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world and as far as, as, far as the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and, and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine forth as, amen, as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Oh my. I mean, whoo. I mean, is this the first time we've seen judgment language in Matthew? No. If you remember a few weeks ago, Jesus, they asked Jesus to, to give them a sign, and, and he said none would be given as they had already received the sign of Jonah. Uh, he said that the, that the men of Nineveh and, and the queen of Sheba, uh, men of Nineveh in Jonah's time, the queen of Sheba in, in King Solomon's time, they would both rise up and condemn that evil generation that asked for the sign, that they would condemn them in that day of judgment or, or the end of the age. So, so Jesus, he spells everything out here. He, there's no, there's, he gives us a play-by-play, -play, what's going to happen, and he introduces the players and... He spells it all out. There is no confusion here. <laughs> the Son of Man sends His angels. And the angels will gather all the stumbling blocks and all those who commit lawlessness and the angels will throw them into the furnace of fire into, into that place there's going to be weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. Well, words that we've heard forever... We're like wheat. I thought, well, what, what's the... I mean, we've all wept. Is that crying? Well, well weeping is uh, grieving audibly. Uncontainable emotional pain. And gnashing, that's grinding the teeth in extreme anguish. Um, Jesus is pretty clear... <laughs> There's no confusion here. He explains the symbols and, he, and he, tells us, he tells us who is who. Way back in 2001, the filmmaker 
Peter Jackson, he unleashed upon the watching world his epic film trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. And for those that saw the movies, and and for those who didn't, this was a trilogy released over a period of years telling this classic story of the battle for Middle-earth, and it was written by a a writer named J.R.R. Tolkien. Stay with me for just a minute. Uh, This series of fantasy films found legions of fans who didn't realize they were fans of all all these swords and sorcery and all this stuff. It's epic filmmaking. I've never read the I've never read the works, but I saw the movies because they were epic and grand in scale on the big screen. But I knew nothing about the characters, and I really cared nothing about the characters. But I wanted to see the production, and this is what I like about them. They're like the classic westerns, in the fact that in the westerns, you know the the guys in the white hats, they're the good guys, right? And the good guys are the good guys. And the guys in the black hats, they're the bad guys, and the bad guys are the bad guys. And for those of you who did not see the films, if you were like me, you didn't really want to see the films for the dread of being made weary by trying to keep up with what was going on, I mean, I was one. Trust me, the, the, the fact that you don't have to figure out who is who makes it a whole lot easier to follow. Um, you know, life is the same. When you don't have to figure out who is who. But sometimes we have to deal with these toxic twins, don't we? We think they, you know, are they wheat or they tear? I mean, how do we do that? Well, that's not really the thrust of the text here in chapter 13. Jesus addresses in detail this unfortunate reality of dealing with toxicity and treachery, he deals with that in Matthew chapter 18. And we will arrive there as we get into the new year, as we continue going through kingdom encounters in Matthew. But 13 addresses the reality of their presence and their fate. In 28, verse 28, the slaves, they asked, do you want us to go and gather up the tares. And the landowner says, no, because while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. You might hurt the good growth. And see, that's the challenge in dealing with toxic and treacherous persons. Their influence, their influence can be far-reaching. And in leadership, that's when the age-old question is asked, is it better to win the day or win the war? Um, and Jesus, you know, he continues to address the good, the bad, and the ugly in verse 47 when he says, The kingdom is like a dragnet, 
cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it's filled, it's the, the fishermen, they draw it on the beach and they s set the net down. They gather the good fish in the containers and the bad they throw away. So the dragnet is filled. The fishermen, they sort the good from the bad, the good fish in the containers, the bad fish in the trash. And in this parable, Jesus gives an immediate explanation of what is going to go down at the end of the age. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. So it will be. The angels will come forth. The angels will take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire there in 50. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it will be. The angels will come forth. They will come, at, come take the wicked out from among the righteous. The angels will throw the wicked into the furnace of fire. And, and in that place there's going to be this weeping, this audible grieving, this, this uncontainable emotional pain and gnashing, gnashing of teeth and extreme anguish. And if we believe what the Bible says, there will be a separation. The wicked will be removed from the righteous at the end of the age. When is that? Well, I'll tell you. I have no idea. Amen. I don't know. Not even the Son of God knows. What? What? How does Jesus not know? Well, Jesus, He's all God and He's all man. Jesus is two natures. He's both divine and He's human nature. And humans grow. No, I mean, we're, we are designed to grow. We're supposed to develop. And, and biology 101 still says that men come from boys and boys come from babies. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we read that as Jesus grew up, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. And Jesus got hungry. I mean, he's, he's all God, but he, he got hungry. <laughs> Jesus slept when he grew weary. Jesus felt anguish. Jesus felt amazement. I mean, it's conceivable that even as he knew that he would die for all men and he would be raised from the dead and he would return one day, Perhaps his human nature didn't see the full timetable. Jesus hasn't been exalted at this point. I alluded to that in our opening prayer this morning out of Philippians 2. When Jesus humbles himself to the point of death, at that point, God exalts him and gives him that name above every name. That beautiful, wonderful, power, powerful name. But at this point, Jesus hasn't been exalted. And I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, just don't, I don't see in full. 
But in Matthew 24, and we'll be getting to Matthew 24 in a few months, but I'll give you a little taste of what's coming. In Matthew 24, we read that Jesus says, Of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. You know, they were living life until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they didn't understand until the flood came. (laughs) They weren't ready. The flood came and took them all away, and so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew is telling us to be ready for the coming. Um, And he's telling us this in chapter 13 with these parables. Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew there in 24, he says, Be sure that if the head of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. No confusion there. (laughs) Um, Things to consider. The thrust of these parables in chapter 13 this morning is the following, that there's going to be an end to all this. Amen. I mean, it's, it's, there's an end. And there will be those righteous and those wicked. And there will be an intentional separation. The wicked will be removed. There will be judgment for all. The wicked will be thrown into a furnace of fire. And there will be weeping, and there will be wailing, and gnashing of teeth, and anguish, torment. But there's a lot we don't know. I mean, there are still some confusing things here. The kids, when we're planning something, you know, questions, you know, how long will it take? (laughs) What time are we done? I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. But our concern should be the wicked and the righteous. That's our concern. And our concern should be our readiness. We know that much, don't we? And even though righteousness does does reflect our behavior, righteousness, if we are the children of God, if we have trusted in what Jesus has done for us on the cross, even though righteousness does reflect our behavior, we are not made righteous by how we act. Let me say that one more time. Even though righteousness does reflect our behavior, we are not made righteous by how we act. We are made righteous by what someone has done for us. Amen. And aren't we glad? And that's the good news of the gospel. In the midst of all this heavy, ominous stuff, wow! Aren't we thankful 
that we have a strong Savior. We have the good news of someone who has paid the price for us. I mean, thanks be to God for His Son, Jesus, who came to bring life and to bring it abundantly, both now and in eternity. And that happens in this way. We, we, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, that God made Jesus, who knew no sin. He, he, he knew no sin. But He became sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. It's when I was younger we you know I used to trade comic books and stuff. You know horse swap. And I call it the ho- the holy horse swap. Our sin Jesus righteousness. And when Jesus gives us his righteousness, he takes he takes our sin and we get the righteousness of Jesus. And it's not because of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's all because of trusting in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And, and, and on the cross, Jesus takes our sin. He gives us His righteousness. And we are clean from our sin. Praise the Lord for that. And, and, and <laughs> we're clean from our sin, not by our behavior, but by the Son going to the cross for us. We don't save ourselves. But to be saved, we have to each turn from sin and each make a decision and each make a choice to submit our lives to the one, capital O, the one, and trust the one who saves us and to trust in him. And see, it's a choice, isn't it? We can be ready.